moments we have here in your presence. Lord, ask that we really would be able to turn our eyes from the things of this world, the different things that occupy so much of our attention and our time. And that, Lord, with this opportunity to come into your presence, you would help us to turn our eyes to you. Lord, enlighten the eyes of our hearts to see you, to hear from you, to meet with you. Lord, as we come to your word inspired by your spirit, may it speak to us today. May you talk to us about the kind of lives you hope for us. May we have eyes that can see and ears that can hear. So, Lord, we give you this time, this, this next bit of time we have together to come to your word. Lord, may each one of us hear from you, speaking uniquely into our situations out of your timeless, eternal, authoritative word. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. 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 Why don't you take a seat? Well, we, uh, we are going to continue our series today, Prayers That Deepen. Uh, we're in week two of this. If you weren't here last week, what we're doing is uh, we're, we're talking and speaking into this idea of how do we connect more deeply with God and with the life that he has for us, imagines for us. And, uh, and key to connecting deeply with God is always prayer. Prayer is how we communicate with God and God communicates with us. Uh, but the thing that can happen sometimes is our prayers, the way we communicate with God, can sometimes end up becoming uh, nothing more than kind of taking to God our list of things that we want or need or are concerned about. And we just kind of take him almost our grocery list at times. And, 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 and while it's important to bring the things that are going on in our life before God, there are different kinds of prayers that actually deepen our connection and go beyond the surface of what's happening in our life, be it good or bad. There are certain prayers that actually take us deeper with God. We shift our focus from what we see happening uh, to going somewhere deeper. And, is that, and that is the space that ends up transforming us and deepening our connection with God. So the New Testament... Uh, actually has a, a few prayers in particular that we're looking at. They're prayers that uh, Paul, who wrote a few of these, he actually was writing letters to churches that went on to become part of the Bible, part of the New Testament. And in a, a couple of these letters, he tells these churches specifically, uh, this is what I'm praying for you. This is what I want for you. And so we're leaning into these prayers, knowing that actually as we lean into these kinds of prayers, uh, this is one of those things that's got the potential to deepen our connection to God, the God we've just been singing about. You know, I love we were singing that song, when our knees hit the ground, we touched the sky. Wouldn't you love to have and feel like there was a genuine connection between you and the eternal God of the universe? It happens in prayer. And so we're going to start, uh, so today we're going to pick up. Uh, last week we, we prayed, uh, we went through this prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 that really has at its uh, kind of centerpiece being all about how we know God better. And praying, in some ways, you can think about it almost, our relationship with God kind of has these two dimensions. People sometimes say it's a little like what the cross looks like. There's a vertical, uh, there's how we as individuals connect with God. But in the scriptures, you see that always plays out horizontally, uh, that our relationship with God also affects how we relate to one another, horizontally. Last week, in lots of ways, was all about how we connect with God and his life comes into ours. And this week's going to be a lot about how God wants to see that then impact and influence how we relate and connect with the people around us in whatever context that is. And so this prayer is going to deal a lot with actually how we, how we live and how we love the people around us, whoever uh, those people may be. 
So we're going to get right into it. Uh, and, the, and the last thing I'll just say, if you weren't here last week, the last thing I want to say, if you weren't here last week, the other thing we're doing with this is uh, we're doing three of these over three weeks, and, and what was uh, a 21-day period, now seven of those days are gone, so we got 14 days, and we just encourage people, if you didn't see it online or, or, or hear the message, uh, we're encouraging people over this three weeks, this 21 days, to find something in your life uh, that you, uh, you can just kind of take out of your life for this 21 days to focus your attention on God. You could call it a fast if you want. It's not necessarily a fast. It doesn't need to be food. But really, this is more about focusing. Just saying, what could I get rid of that normally distracts so that for this 21 days, if you want to go, wow, I really want to go deeper in my connection with God, it's a great thing to do. I, uh, one of the things I gave up was kind of recreational. Well, the, the main thing I'm doing for this is recreational internet. In particular, uh, the recreation I most like uh, to use the internet for is checking on sports scores. And so I uh, know nothing right now kind of about the sporting world. And so if you know anything, please see me after the service. <laughs> Somebody said to me, Forrest, did you hear what happened with your team? I'm like, no, please tell me, tell me. I'm kind of at a loss here, but it's been great because it's given me some great space to connect and, and pray into these things. Here's this week's prayer. Philippians chapter 1. Paul's writing to this church. Here's his prayer uh, for these people. And, and he's just begun the letter kind of thanking God for this church, the way they're partnering with him in the gospel, all these great things about the church. And he says, and this is my prayer for you. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. He says, my prayer is that your love, your love may abound, may overflow, may have excessive amounts of more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. This is really the core of what he's going to ask for, pray for for them. But he does this so that these things can happen. Verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, not, not by your own effort. This isn't a try more, do more, work harder. No, no, no. Filled with the fruit, this stuff that just comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. So that God is, is made to look good and, and bigger and, and more seen in this world. This is his prayer. And we're going to kind of break this down. And look at what he's asking for and why this is such a big deal. And I love this passage and I love this prayer, especially following on from Ephesians last week about how we connect with God. Because this one's all about how you live a certain kind of life and how you love in a certain kind of way. And, and so what he prays for, he prays that you're loved. You know, we all know love is kind of the... The, the greatest reality that we can experience in relationships, it's the highest ideal, is for us to be people who love. No matter where you go in the world, what culture, whatever, you're never going to find a place where, you know, being apathetic towards others is lifted up. Where being angry or negative or critical, where those things are, are lifted up. No, love is really what God has created us to do. And, and we love love, and we value love. Paul says, I want, you're going to have love. He's, he's commending it. But my prayer is that your love might be a certain kind of love. He says, I want it to abound. I want it to overflow. I want there to be like leftovers is really what this word abound almost means. I want you just to abound more and more just in these greater and increasing excessive amounts with these two things. In knowledge and depth of insight. That our love goes well beyond 
just emotion or feeling, but that our love abounds in knowledge and depth of insight. That these two things, and if you, you know, track with this today, these two things, having love that abounds in knowledge and in depth of insight, actually can transform your relationships and your capacity, the way you will influence and, and leave a mark and influence on the world around you. See, when he talks about, the, the first we're going to have breakdown here is knowledge. He says, I want your love to abound in knowledge. Now, the word knowledge here, it's not really talking about just I want your love uh, to abound in more kind of facts and, and more, you know, I want it to be like a, a Google kind of love. You can go to your love to find out anything, you know, kind of facts. No, it's not that kind of knowledge. When, when this word for knowledge is used often in the New Testament, it's talking about, uh, the way they would say it is that it's usually a knowledge of things ethical or things divine. It, it's a knowledge. It's, it's actually about, some, some translations talk about this almost like a practical knowledge or, or, or wisdom. It's about having a an understanding of how to live and love well. It's not just knowing more facts. It's not that kind of knowledge. I was uh, at a barbecue a couple weeks ago. Met a guy there for the first time. Uh, he found out I was pastor. I was there. was another pastor as well at this particular barbecue. And the guy began talking, and, and he said, you know, I've kind of got this problem. My, my daughter uh, has just told me she's an atheist. He's a, uh, his daughter was in her early 30s. And he said, she's just told me she's an atheist. And I'm... I'm he was a follower of Christ. He's understanding. He's distraught by this. It's paining him. And he said, you know, she's told me I'm an atheist. And he said, you know, I don't know about you guys, but what, what do you think of that Richard Dawkins? I feel like, you know, we, we, you see this Richard Dawkins and he's on TV and he's promoting his kind of atheistic worldview and, and all of these kinds of things. He said, I really feel like that's what's at the core of this. And he said, and I feel like in some ways I almost kind of blame uh, kind of the media and the political. And he said, and sometimes I feel like it even becomes a political thing and, and politicians push this agenda. And so, you know, then they've got people like Dawkins out there. And, and so he said, this is my, he said, what, what do you think? And one of the things I said to him, I said, well, you know, it's an interesting thing. Most of the people I find, uh, especially if they're kind of, you know, my generation or, or younger, I'm, I'm 25 myself, and um, no, I was a, I'm a bit older than his daughter even, which was, you know, so, but I, I said, the thing I find with younger generations is actually, uh, it's not about Dawkins, and it's not about uh, this kind of, I have looked at the knowledge I've reasoned my way through all the facts. I've listened to coherent arguments on both sides, and I've come to the view that there is no God. I said, I actually find, you know, most of the time you scratch beneath the surface. Most people who say they're atheists, it's not actually coming from this uh, well-thought-out, well-reasoned kind of process. And he said, really? I said, you know what? Often, I, I see so often, you actually scratch a little bit deeper and you talk, and more often than not, what they're actually saying when they say I'm an atheist is, I just didn't find that it worked. I didn't find that it made a difference in my life. I didn't see evidence of this making a difference in other people's lives. That what often people are concerned with is not about the knowledge the way we think, but they're saying there's no knowledge of how to live in this that's actually making a difference in my life. And he actually went on to share some of their story and some of what his daughter had been through. And, and I began to think, well, oh, this is some of the pain she would have experienced if she wasn't seeing how God connected that, of course she would be ready to kind of walk away. The other pastors would have said to him, you know, why don't you try this? Next time she brings this up, why don't you just say to her, what does that mean to you to be an atheist? You know, and then be prepared to do a lot more listening and a lot less talking. And within about a week, he got in touch and said, I had this conversation with my daughter and I said, she said, what does that mean? And she said, well, it's not that I'm certain there's no God. 
it just really hasn't seen how this has made much of a difference. It was almost exactly what she said. The reason I raise all that to say to you is this, is people are not looking for more knowledge about whether there's a God or not. People smarter than you and I have studied this for centuries and come down on both sides. You can interpret it the way you want to interpret it. What people are looking for is does this actually, does knowing God actually have an impact that's discernible that you can see on how you live? Does it produce people who know how to love really well? I think that's one of the reasons Paul prays for them. He wants them to have a love that just abounds and overflows in knowledge, in practical wisdom for life and how to live. Because when people see someone else living who feels like, wow, that's how to live, that speaks to the reality of who God is. The passage wraps up saying all this comes to the glory of God. It actually makes God known because we've tapped into what life is about and how you live in love well. So he prays for him that you would have a love that abounds in knowledge and that your love would also abound. He says in depth of insight. In depth of insight. There, there is this, these two ideas come together. Some translations call it discernment, this understanding, this actually looking beneath the surface of what's going on and having insight about how to love well in any given situation. Depth of insight, not just reacting, not just giving our opinions about things, but wouldn't it be amazing to be the kind of people who people around you say, it's just like you've got this depth about you. You have insights into life, into my life, into what's going on that just kind of go beyond what seems almost normal or natural or available to the average person. There is a depth of insight you carry. When we carry the presence of God, there is a depth of insight he wants to bring into us that enables us to live and love well. So often these insights, I don't know about you, but have you ever had people in your life who, when you go to them and, they sp and you tell them what's going on in your life, or the challenges, the struggles, or, or the things you're wanting to grow in, or the areas you're wanting, am I going right here? And there are some people who are able to speak and not just kind of give you, well, you know, hey, good luck with that. Or not even just, hey, well, here's what I think. But some people are able to occasionally just speak a word that just, it's just insightful. And it just brings a whole understanding that ends up, allowing you to, to grow and develop even as a person. That, wouldn't it be great if we were those kind of people? People love to be around us because it's like you're able to speak not just your opinions and not just your criticism and not just even nice platitudes, but you actually have about you a depth of insight in how you relate to me. A depth of insight. I mean, how would our relationships be transformed if we, the people that we love, the people that we care about, the people that we're connected to, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, parents, children, husbands, wives, uh, workmates, students around us, how would our relationships be transformed if in every situation, whatever happened, we were carrying with us this kind of knowledge and practical wisdom and depth of insight to know how to respond and how to love a person well in any given moment? That is a great story that, that to me is a, is a picture of this in some ways. 
uh, and, and what it looks like. Because I think one of the greatest challenges to loving people well is knowing when to speak up, when to be silent. Knowing what to say or how to say it. You know, how do you, you know, we can love people and sometimes just the challenge is, is, is knowing what to say and when and, and how. And I, I read this story of uh, Phil Jackson, who was a coach of the, the Chicago Bulls in the 1990s, some of the greatest basketball teams ever. It was the Michael Jordan era through the 90s. And Michael Jordan, the second best player the whole time he played was Scottie Pippen. How many people remember Scottie Pippen? Remember the name? You know, he was, everybody knows Michael Jordan, right? But Scottie was the second. When Michael Jordan retired, guess what that meant for Scottie Pippen? He became number one. And, and, and you imagine you've always played second fiddle to a guy for forever and he's gone. It would be understandable to think, you know what, now is my time to shine to show that I can be the number one guy. Well, this team uh, is going through the whole year. They get all the way to the end of the season. They're in the finals. They're in the Eastern Conference finals. They're playing against the, the New York Knicks. Uh, they're in a kind of make or break game. And there's 1.8 seconds left, and the, the game is tied. They call timeout. Coach Phil Jackson draws up a play. Says, here's how it's going to go down. Scotty, you're going to pass it to this other player, Tony Kukoc. He's going to take the shot. Now, you've waited all your life to be the man, right? These are the moments where you show you've got what it takes. The timeout ends, all the players go to get back in the game, and Scottie Pippen's still sitting on the bench. He's so upset that he's not going to get that shot, he refuses to go into the game. This is like unheard of, in the, even in the professional sports world. The coach has to call another timeout, puts in another player for him because he won't go in. They go out, the new player passes it to Kony Kukoc, hits the shot, they win the game. So, they win the game. Now imagine this. Imagine this moment. Because in different ways, we've probably all been there. Someone has directly just completely flouted, you know, if you're, if you're a parent, you know, your child has just directly disobeyed something you asked them to do. If you're a, a leader of a team in your workplace, the people on your team have just completely uh, said no to what you've asked them to do. So here's Phil Jackson coming in the locker room going, now how do I deal with this situation? If I, if I make, the, if I, do I come down hard on him? Do I just, you know, Scotty, you can't do that. I'm the one in charge. And turn it into, this is kind of a coach versus player thing. Do I just ignore it? Say, hey, we're glad that we won the game and let's move on and pretend nothing happened. But knowing what is, what would be the after effects of not saying anything. And he knew that if he were to address it himself, it would become about a player coach you know, authority figure relationship, and that what had happened was actually more detrimental to the team as a whole. So what he did was he got in there, and he basically said one statement. He said, guys, what happened tonight has hurt us. And then one of the other players began to speak up, and he was a strong, stoic type, Bill Cartwright, and he began to tear up and actually said how disappointed he was. And Scotty, how could you just wear a team? And why would you do that? And, and so here's this team that's just won a game. But now, the, the, and, and all the coach did, what he ended up doing was just saying, what happened tonight has hurt us. And then as they began to talk, he left the room and let the players handle it. And he knew that's what needed to happen. And the players handled it. People owned what they had to. And they were able to resolve their differences and move forward. How many times are we in relationships conflict happens of whatever nature it is and we are so tempted to react to react often justify you know i mean phil would have had every reason this coach to say i'm the coach what i say goes team won't work if you don't follow what i do but he resisted that and he did something that the people marvel at. that's why he's considered one of the greatest coaches because there was a wisdom in the way he approached it 
How many relationships do you have right now where what would really make the difference would be to have some kind of depth of insight to know how I handle this situation? Our relationships, our world around us would be transformed if we had a love and outward looking, thinking of others, their needs, how do I care for them, love them, support them. If we had a love and this love abounded in knowledge and wisdom and in depth of insight and in how to handle situations. If we had that kind of love, it would transform because how often do we do damage in relationships? Because instead of acting with wisdom and insight, we react. We can justify. Paul says, I want this love. Now, I don't want you just to ignore things. Just loving isn't about, well, I won't say anything because I might offend them. No, no, no. You can do that and you actually create dysfunction and, and allow things that should never happen to continue to happen. That's what would happen if you ignored it entirely. No, no. How do we have a love? Abounds, overflows, excessive amounts of knowledge and depth of insight. What a powerful thing. And then this is why it's so big as well, if you don't believe me yet. Because if you have these things, if you have a love that abounds in these things, look at what he says happens is that when you have them, you will be able to discern what is best. What is best? The greatest challenge so often in life as well is not discerning, not determining, not working out what is right and what is wrong, but working out what is good and what is best. And Paul says, I want you to have the kind of love that you, when you have this knowledge and depth of insight, you will be able to discern, you'll be able to figure out, you'll be able to determine with accuracy, to judge rightly what is best. Some translations bring it, what is, you know, most excellent. That there is a kind of life you could live that, that is not just good, but is the best. It's exactly what God would want. And, and this, this best life, it's sometimes easy to fool ourselves about what kind of life we're leading or how well we're loving people if we don't have the kind of wisdom and discernment and insight that the Spirit wants us to have. What is best? It's so easy to get caught up in things that we think are worthwhile and worthy of our time and attention and are loving people well and actually miss what was best. I read a, a story of a guy named Ronald Heifetz. He's a, a leadership professor at, at Harvard and uh, wrote a book called Leadership on the Line. And he tells a story uh, in that book about himself uh, of a time when, when he was kind of coming up in his career. He'd been working on a book for 10 years. He finally got it published. It was taking off. He's been asked to do radio interviews, uh, television, newspapers. Everyone suddenly wanted to hear what he had to say. And, 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 you know, he kind of all of a sudden, it's like his career was taking off, taking off, taking off. He had young kids. And he was uh, teaching a couple days a week at Harvard, traveling a lot of the rest of the time. And he kind of was loving the thrill of all that was happening and thinking what a great job he's doing and, and how and, you know, important and all these things are going so well. And he tells a story about how one day he came home and his wife said to him, you know, hey, uh, after we get the kids to bed, uh, I'm going to run us a bath. Let's just have a nice, relaxing evening together. And he's thinking, wow, this is great. She sees how hard I'm working. She sees how all the great things I'm doing. She just wants to kind of treat me well. I'm, uh, you know, this is wonderful. And eventually, you know, the kids are in bed. There's bubble bath made in that. And they sit down. And he realizes what he's actually been invited to is a meeting. And, and she's invited him into that tub to have a meeting with him because she can't seem to get his attention. And he talks about how she begins to really, in a, a calm and steady and cool way, speak to him about, do you realize what you're doing? 
All, you, you are so, you're moving so fast and you're going so hard. And, and you know what? While you're out there traveling and just going so hard after all these goals of yours and feeling so important, uh, the world's still spinning. And when you actually try and re-engage, it's going to have changed an awful lot. And you're missing some things that you don't realize what you're missing. And he talks about how defensive he felt in the moment and how he tried to, you know, she's being oversensitive and, and he tried to kind of defend. He tried to do this and that. But after a couple hours, uh, he began to start to come to some realizations in this conversation. I'll read you just the last kind of bit of what he says. He says, Ron wanted it all. This is him kind of writing about himself with his co-author. And just as his business started to take off, as a phone began ringing with people saying they needed him, sometimes offering big fees, he was being asked to evaluate what truly mattered. Just as his plane got off the runway, his wife told him in no uncertain terms to cool his jets. Ron pleaded, how can you do this to my dream? And then he realized that she was throwing him a life raft, lost in his zone of insatiability. And that, uh, that idea, the zone of insatiability, it's those things that we all go after that at the end of the day can never actually satisfy us. For him, it was meaning, importance, power, those kinds of things. He says, lost in his zone of insatiability, his never-ending need for importance and affirmation, he might gain the world and lose himself. And I just love that phrase, he might gain the world and lose himself, because you see, this is a picture of a person who was going and doing and pursuing good things. There's nothing wrong with excelling at your career. There's nothing wrong with being good at what you do. There's nothing wrong with, 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 you know, pursuing some of these things. But in the middle of it, he thought he was pursuing things that were, and he was pursuing things that were good, but what he realized in the end is they were not what was best. That actually it was possible to do all the good things he was doing and gain the world, gain a lot, but lose what mattered most, which was his very self. Can I, can I just tell you, I think in, in relationships, and I think of this, here's a, here's a father who was experiencing that, realizing that he was going after a lot of things, but he might lose what actually mattered most. And, and, and I think how many of us, you know what, why it's so great. So, so where's the line? How much should you work? How much should you be at home? What do these things look like? Those are challenging questions. And that's why Paul says, I pray that you will have a love that abounds in knowledge, in wisdom, in depth of insight. Because then you'll know how to figure out what's best. Then you'll know how to discern how do you best love the people around you. Then you'll know how do you have situations and know how to respond and, and how to not be defensive and how to find the right word at the right time in the right way. There's no kind of rule book, play book, but when we are given the spirit within us, to guide us, to direct us, to make our love no ordinary love, but a love that abounds, overflows, excesses, bubbles over with knowledge, with wisdom, with depth of insight. That is transformative. And he says, and, and you know what happens then? When you can discern what is best, if you can discern what is best, he says, then you will be able to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That we can have lives that are pure, and blameless. We're not perfect, but there is a pureness, a single-hearted, this is what I'm going after. There's a blamelessness that I may not be perfect, but I'm actually leading in the right direction and trying to take people in the right directions with me. He says, and you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. 
that comes through Jesus Christ. That this is how you become filled with the fruit. It's not about trying harder, doing more. But as you take on this kind of love that abounds, you end up, it's like your life. When people look at the fruit of your life, they see the righteousness of Christ. Not by your own works, but it's like you went down deep. You sent your roots deep and deep and deep into Jesus and how he wants you to live. And out of that, out of the overflow, there's this fruit that starts to just show in your life. You know, Ron, in that story, he was on a track where the fruit of his life was going to be some broken relationships. And the broken relationships and the relationships that mattered the very most to him. Because he'd lost track of what was best. And instead, he was given an opportunity to say, I'm going to move in a different way and allow different fruit to be born in my life. Every one of us will leave something of, of an emotional wake behind us. It's the fruit of who we are. And the people that we're around, whether in short encounters or long, we will bear fruit in those encounters and what those relationships are like. People will think of us a certain way. They will feel a certain way when we're around them. Will they feel that love that Paul wants for them? Will there be this fruit that you look and you go, that is just a life well lived. How'd you get there? Was it, did you just know what to do? No, no, no. I just sent my roots down deep in Christ. And he gave me a spirit. And it gave me this love. And people say, how did you know how to say that or how to do that or how to work out that conflict or how to speak that right word into so-and-so's life in that moment? You know what? It's just the spirit within me gave me this, this knowledge and depth of insight. And I kind of can't even explain it. Those moments are just the fruit of Jesus alive in me. And when we do that, God gets the glory. He says, we do all this. To the, to the glory and the praise of God. When we actually love well, God looks big in this world. People get to see what he looks like. People get to go, it's not just about, uh, uh, you know, oh, I can argue these facts and those facts, and there may be a God or not. No, they go, wow, no, I just, I see God. How can I deny it? I see the love in your life. I see the fruit of your life. That is how I know there must be a God. And the Jesus that's in you, man, I'd love to know that Jesus in my life as well. That's what this is all about. Who wouldn't want that? And this is a, this is a prayer. And this is a great prayer because uh, it's really short. If you want to pray a prayer that's going to make a difference this week, you know what you'll find? I encourage you, if you lean into this this week, and you actually, you go after this, and you make the time, and, and we talked as well, find some people to pray this for you, that God would give you a love abounding, overflowing with knowledge and depth. If you begin to really go after this, I think you'll be amazed how often in your week you find yourself just saying, Lord, in this situation, would you give me, give me some wisdom? Give me a depth of insight about how to love well. Andy Stanley has this great question that he always asks, and he says in almost any situation, can you ask the question, right here, right now, what does love require of me? That's a question that if you ask yourself repeatedly, in this situation, what does love require of me? You'll live a life that abounds, overflows in love, that bears fruit, the very fruit of Jesus Christ. And you just ask yourself, Lord, would you give me? knowledge, depth of insight, a love that abounds, overflows in those, that I might be pure, that I might be blameless, that my life might have the fruit of Jesus on display 
for the world to see. What a prayer. Now here's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, we talked about this last week. I'm going to invite the, the team's going to come back up. These are, are things that we can't do. Uh, you can't go and do more, be more knowledgeable in your love, be more wise in your love. There's a reason we're praying for these things because they're things that God has to do in us. And we begin to access them. We begin to unlock them as we allow, uh, as we come to him in prayer. And even more, I think, in some ways, what you see here is Paul was praying this for some other people. And something powerful happens when we pray these things for other people. And so we want to start, and, and so this week, I'm going to encourage you, find some people, be praying this for them, have them praying this for you, your connect group, journey group, uh, people on your team, if you serve here, whatever group you're in, wherever you connect with some people, make sure you've got two or three people praying this into your life, and be going after it yourself with God, asking for it. But we're going to start today, I'm going to invite you to stand, and as we sing this next song, if you just want to really begin the process of saying, God, I want this in my life. I want a love that overflows, that abounds, knowledge, depth of insight, wisdom. I want to see the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. Just during this song, we're going to sing. Can we sing that? Are we going to sing that open heaven? Or are we going to sing, what are we singing? That one, the open, open heaven, river wild. And I love this song because it speaks all about letting that spirit just come and do his work in your life. It remakes us, renews us, restores us. And if you want to see God begin this work in your life, just come right down the front. There's plenty of room. We've got prayer teams. You don't have to say anything. You just come forward. Some people come along, and they're just going to, in a really simple way, they're going to just put their hands on you and pray that God might begin to release these things. They're just going to pray that Philippians 1 prayer. Knowledge, depth of insight, pure, blameless life, filled with the fruit of Jesus' righteousness in your life. So let's sing it. Let this be a moment you connect with God. And if you'd like some people just to start that for you, jumpstart it, praying those into your life, just come right down to the front.